Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's class. Well, good evening, friends. Uh, Sorry I can't be with you in person today. Um, As you can see from, uh, well, this video, we're going to have a little bit of a different format this evening. Um, And sorry for the lack of heads up. I promise we weren't trying to trick you. It just wasn't until uh, right before we began last week that I kind of realized I needed to try to find a way to be in two places at once tonight. So we have a convention uh, going on over at the college that uh, some things are happening there I couldn't miss. So I had to be here with you in this way. And I am looking forward to the time of teaching tonight, and I hope it's not presumptuous of me. I didn't want to hand it off to somebody else. I wanted to kind of see this part of the text through and continue to guide uh, you through the book of Genesis, because we really do kind of come to the mostly the end of the Abraham part of the story here in Genesis this evening. And it's been fun for me to walk it through with you, and I wanted to see that part through to the end. So Scott is here with us uh, in the flesh. Scott Insminger. Everybody say, Hi, Scott. Thank you. Hopefully that pause was adequate. Uh, He's going to be guiding you through some things there live tonight, and I'm going to talk through some different portions of what we're going to be doing together and walking through the text. Now, I do want to remind you, uh, if I haven't put on the schedule the last few weeks, that next week is actually a QA and a week. We do come to the end of the Abraham portion, and so we have one of a couple of planned Q&A weeks uh, that I want to just spend the evening recapping some things from the Abraham narrative. I'll probably have some some thoughts that I want to share, uh, just summing up what we've learned from his life, uh, maybe to add to what we talk about tonight. But the main part of it is going to be your questions. So as you have thought about questions, or even tonight as you think about questions, certainly some of those that pertain to the text tonight, feel free to ask Scott. I'm sure he's perfectly capable of talking you through some of those things um, that may come up in, in thinking about what uh, we read in Genesis 21 and 22. But if you have any other questions, questions um, about the text tonight or about the whole narrative of Abraham, or we'll open it up to you know whatever you want to talk about. Just be mindful. That's coming next week. I'll be back live. I may have Mark with me as well, and we can talk you through some of the things that have come up as a result of thinking through this portion of Scripture. Uh, but this week, again, we're going to study the life of Abraham, kind of the, the final moments of the part of the story that's focused on him. There's going to be three elements of what we do tonight. Um, the first uh, one is review, and that's going to be mainly something that you're going to do. I have created a little bit of a crossword puzzle, so hopefully you find that at least somewhat enjoyable. And uh, we're going to, first of all, give you some time to do that on your own. So you've got it there on your notes. Uh, you're welcome to work alone. You're welcome to work in teams. Uh, maybe Scott has some creative way he wants you to do this. Basically, we just want you to uh, work your way through that crossword crossword puzzle focused on the life of Abraham. So you're going to do that for a little while here in just a moment. And then uh, Scott will lead you through, you know, making sure we have all the answers and blanks filled in because that drives some of you crazy to not. Um, And I promise I haven't left any like unanswerable questions or totally, you know, sneaky things so that you have to leave it open. It will be filled in for you. Then after the time of review, I want to do a time of teaching. So I'll be back up here with you, walking you through Genesis chapter 21 and 22. And then then after that time of teaching, we want to do uh, some more time of reflection. Now, part of it will be on your own. Uh, We have a little exercise for you to look back over the whole story of Abraham, the whole narrative, uh, in uh, just walking through kind of chronological format and looking at the different um, levels of faithfulness or lack thereof that you see in Abraham. And then after that, if there's still time left, I've got some questions for you that I'd like for you to get into groups and talk through 
about Abraham's life and what we learn from it and, and maybe some of your journey, journey and what we learn from that and seeing if we can't continue to hear God's voice in the process of studying the life of Abraham and his descendants in the book of Genesis. So let me pray and then uh, we'll kick it to Scott and he can walk you through that crossword puzzle. Father God, we are grateful for the chance to uh, be in your presence. Even though um, we are separated by time and space, we're grateful for the fact that you are, are here uh, in every sense of the word with us in all of these times and places. And so bless our time tonight as we continue to study the book of Genesis in an effort to hear your voice and respond faithfully. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Hey, good evening. Um, we're going to do the crossword puzzle here in just a moment. So also, as you know, as you can see that tonight the class is on video. So uh, if you want need to sit somewhere else where you can see a screen a little bit better than maybe up front here, whatever, feel free to do that during this time. Uh, he also talked about we'll be doing different types of exercises. So uh, we're, we're going to start out doing Father Abraham like we used to in children's church for everybody to get a workout. So just kidding. But... Um, uh, but the first thing is is to take a few minutes and to go through the uh, word uh, uh, word search that he put together there. And uh, as we look at as you do the puzzle, I want you to know something. Uh, when you leave tonight and walk out through the back through the double doors where you got your notes, the answers will be uh, to all of the spots will be on there, so you can fill those in. Um, some of those words I cannot pronounce, and I figured I was probably gonna mess that up. And we're like, hey, let's just give them the answers at the end when they walk out. So uh, it's our gift to you. So anyway. But we're going to take a few minutes now just to go over the word search. Uh, like I said, feel free to, to spread out if you want to get in a couple of groups and talk out some of that. Uh, we're going to do that for the next five minutes or so. And also, like we said, the next uh, time of teaching will be for about 40 minutes. Uh, so if you want to sit somewhere else in the worship center that, just, that you see the screen better, feel, feel free to do that. So let's go ahead now and get started doing the word search. Okay, uh, again, as you leave tonight out there on the... Uh, uh, tables out there as you leave, you'll see a piece of paper like this, and there's all the answers on there for you. So it'll be able to help you out. There you go. I saved just step. So you're welcome. <laughs> Did you really want to go? Ask? Well, you didn't know it'd be me, huh? Yeah. Well, I got some steps on my Fitbit then. So anyway, yeah. So we're going to go ahead and start the video again. Uh, if you need to move around to be able to see the screen better, feel free to do that. Um, uh, Michael does an excellent job of just breaking down. Uh, 21 and 22 tonight. So we're going to go ahead and start the video, and uh, then we'll do the exercises that he has for us at the end of that. So we'll go ahead and start that now. Okay, well, hope that you enjoyed the crossword puzzle and that you were able to find the answers to those questions. Um, there's certainly a lot that we would want to remember from the life of Abraham, and maybe that can serve as a little bit of a guide for some of the uh, facts that uh, you know are beneficial to keep in mind as you think your th way through the story and as you see how God may speak into your life from it. I want now to talk about Genesis chapters 21 and 22. Uh, really, we're going to look at both of these, uh, one then the other, and we're going to take out one key truth from them and talk about some of the different ways we see it expressed in the text itself. So let me read to you. Uh, from Genesis chapter 21, open up your Bibles and uh, follow along with me. I'm going to read the whole of it. So 34 verses, chapter 21, starting in verse 1 and going on through verse 34. Here's what we read. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. 
Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Verse 8. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking, and she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave woman into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What's the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift up the boy and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. And while he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me in the country where you now reside as a foreigner the same kindness I have shown to you. Abraham said, I swear it. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. But Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this. You didn't tell me, and I heard about it only today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and the two made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock, and Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you have set apart by themselves? He replied, Accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. And so that place was called Beersheba, because the two men swore an oath there. And after the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the Eternal God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. So you have a handful of events there. Uh, for the most part, there's these three scenes. You have the birth of Isaac, after all this waiting. Then secondly, you have um, the sending away of Hagar and Ishmael and the provision of God for Ishmael. And then the third part is this treaty that you see uh, in Beersheba between Abraham and Abimelech. This is not their first run-in. This one's a little bit more pleasant than the others. Uh, so you have three scenes, all of which are designed, I think, to reinforce the same point. And that point is that once more, God is faithful to Abraham. God is faithful to this man. He keeps his promises from start to finish. Now, if you hear that, okay, God is faithful to Abraham, that's the gist of Genesis 21. Maybe what some of you think is seriously, again, like haven't we seen this already? Hasn't this been a consistent theme of what we've been studying the whole time? Haven't we covered this? Indeed, and two things I would say in response to that. Uh, first of all, let's just let this be a lesson to us. The fact that the text seems consistently to reinforce this point over and over and over again. I mean, so many times if we're walking away from looking at a passage from Genesis and asking, what is the primary thing that it teaches us? 
What is the main truth about God that it's trying to get across? And consistently, the point has been God is faithful. He keeps his promises. So let's just take our cues from this and recognize that meditating on God's faithfulness to his promises and thinking about him as one who keeps his word is something that we need to do again and again. Apparently, this is not just one of those lessons that you can lock in and say, okay, we've got it. Now we can move on to something else. Oh, slow down. It's not so much that you move on from awareness of God's faithfulness, it's that you move through the world remembering that God is faithful. Makes me think of that old song. I remember we used to sing the song when I was growing up in church, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And there's this one line in there, morning by morning, new mercies I see. Now, when I was a kid, I used to think, what is a mercy? Like, is it just like a little creature? Like, what is this thing, you know? And of course, now we recognize what the song is saying. You probably always did. It took me a while. <laughs> but the point is, Every morning, we recognize that God is merciful to us in a new way that demonstrates his faithfulness. And so there's a morning by morning a meditation on God's faithfulness that is wise for us, and I think we should take from this text. Second thing is that um, this text is, in particular, intentionally repetitive because I think it's something of a confirmation story, or it's like a confirmation cap on the story. That here, as we come toward the end of Abram's, Abraham's life, this is not the final event, but as we come toward the end, there's a sense in which what we've been saying along is indeed what we're seeing again here. So God's faithfulness is um, reassured to us again as a way of indeed summarizing what we've been seeing so far. So once more, God is faithful to Abraham. That's the point of Genesis chapter 21. But let's put a little bit more texture on it because I think we can from within the text, staying faithful to the text. There are probably any number of ways we could build this out, but there are four things I see that I think are worth drawing attention to with respect to uh, how God keeps his promise. So four things. First of all, God keeps his promise graciously. Graciously is the first word there. God keeps his promise graciously. And I love that this is made explicit. It's been pretty clear and implicit throughout. And that what this word grace means is that God does good to people who don't deserve it. He treats people better than they deserve. When people deserve punishment, he shows them and offers them forgiveness. When people deserve uh, abandoned, he stays with them. Multiple times Abraham has acted in such a way and Sarah has acted in such a way that would lead any person to say, I totally get it, God, if you want to move on. But he hasn't because he's been gracious. He treats them better than they deserve. And here at the beginning of this, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah. Now the Lord did for her this thing even though she didn't deserve it. And so we recognize right up top here that at the time of fulfillment, God wants to make sure we know nothing has changed with respect to whether Abraham and Sarah are perfect people. The answer to that question is still no. So nothing has happened such that we would now look at them and say, well, clearly now they become the kind of people who it makes sense for God to bless. Nope, they're still not those kind of people because we're not sure if those kind of people exist. So God keeps his promise graciously is the first thing. Second thing, I want you to notice is that God keeps his promise patiently, patiently. So graciously, it comes to those who don't deserve it. Uh, patiently, it comes a little bit slower than we might like. 25 years at the very least have passed since God first called Abraham. At least 25 years since he showed up in the promised land. That's a long time. That's a lot of days. That's a lot of hours. That's a lot of minutes. That's a lot of nights looking up at the stars saying, all right, God, you told me to look at these stars one time and uh, try to count them because your point was that I'm going to have more descendants than there are stars in this sky. That's a lot of time walking along the sandy beaches of the Mediterranean Sea or walking through the desert 
of the land of Israel, the hills, the rolling hills, with countless little tiny beads of sand. And Abraham going, all right, God, like there was a time when you told me to try to count these beads of sand and said that I'm going to have more descendants than that number, whatever it may be. And yet, where are you? Patiently. I I love the uh, almost um, ho-hum, I don't know what the word is, almost uh, just the non-fancy way, the non-dramatic way the actual birth of Isaac is told. I mean, think about this. If you're watching a movie, this is that scene that that has been uh, pointed toward and the story has been moving toward the whole time. And usually there's something about this scene and the way in which it's shot and the, the dialogue and the music and the light that just draws this attention because this is this crescendo moment and this is what we've been heading toward. And yet you don't get that here. You just get this, you know, the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he promised. She became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Okay then, that's how it happened then. And I think that the almost nondescript way in which it's told is an indication that God is, God's not feeling dramatic. It's not, you know, it's not in a hurry. It's not feeling dramatic. So now it's time. No, it's just, this was the plan from the start. God knew that he would fulfill his promise. And he knew that it would be a lot longer than the people involved in the story would have liked or expected. So 25 years after Abraham got the promise, Uh, He and Sarah received the solution. So God promises his, um, uh, he keeps his promise patiently. Third thing I think you see in this story is that God keeps his promise miraculously. So there's the obvious truth that this is a miracle, that Isaac is born to a woman who is beyond the years that, you know, when she could have a child, 90 years old. I mean, this is not the kind of thing that happens. This is not the kind of thing that can happen. This is not what bodies do. So there's a miraculous element to this that's fairly clear. But I think that there's an emphasis on the miraculous that helps us understand the sending away of Hagar and Ishmael. This seems like a little bit of a strange story. And there's a lot of different contours to it. We could approach this story like we have at other times and say, what is learned about Sarah or from Sarah? What is learned about or from Hagar and Ishmael? But the primary point of this is God. And of course, key here is that God takes care of him, but also recognize that I think a big part of what's going on here with him being sent away is that uh, at a certain point, whenever the boy was old enough to be taken care of and to take care of himself and his mom, at a certain point, God allowed him to be sent away not out as an act of meanness or judgment, but because he needed to make sure that everyone knew that the child of promise, namely the child that came by miracle, is the one through whom God's mission is going to move forward. And God is not angry at Ishmael. He does not hate Ishmael. No, his point here, though, it's a gospel point. He sent him away to make a gospel point, and it's that God is going to do things miraculously, not the way humans think they should. So Ishmael is like a living, visible sign to everyone who knows the story of us trying to take things into our own hands. And Isaac is a living, visible sign to everyone who knows the story that God uh, does things apart from our ability to manufacture them. And the point of sending Ishmael away is so that Isaac can take up his rightful place. Not a place he's earned, but a place he's been given because his life testifies to the fact that God moves his mission forward miraculously. God does what God is going to do by miracle, not by things that make common sense to the ways in which the world normally works. So that's the third thing I think that's pretty clearly emphasized here. We have God keeping his promise graciously, 
patiently, miraculously. And then the, third, the fourth and final one that I see is God keeps his promise thoroughly. All of it, not just part of it. Two uh, stories tell us this. One, I think this is another truth that comes out of the uh, blessing of Ishmael. So Ishmael goes away and, you know, what's going to happen? We don't know. We, we, we don't have a guarantee or we don't know ahead of time what's, what's going to take place. All we know is that God said it's okay for him to be sent away. Does this mean now that Isaac's here that God is done with Ishmael? Does this mean now that Isaac's here that he's just going to drop this other descendant of Abraham? And the answer is no. He's going to bless him. Why? Because he told Abraham he would bless all who came from him. He would bless his offspring. He would bless his people. His name would be great. He would be a great nation. And here Ishmael himself is blessed and becomes a nation because it's an overflow of the blessing that God promised to Abraham showing that God's not just going to keep some of the promise. He's going to keep all of the promise. He's going to overflow his faithfulness to the promise that he made to Abraham. And in addition, I think the whole point of the next story is similar. The treaty that Abraham makes with Abimelech. Here you have a couple of other things. Don't forget that God promised that he would bless those who bless Abraham and that people would look at Abraham and see him as someone who they should be connected to so that they might receive a blessing. In, in layman's terms or in normal terms, nobody wants to get on Abraham's bad side. That's part of what God promised. And the people who do get on your bad side are going to pay for it. Don't forget that God promised that. Don't forget also that God promised Abraham the land, that he would have a place in this land. This land would be his. And so here we see both of those promises being fulfilled. You have a man, Abimelech, who's a ruler of his own area, but he wants to be good with Abraham because he recognizes Abraham is a man on whom God's blessing rests, and he's not the kind of guy you want to trifle with, because it's not the kind of God you want to ignore or avoid or mistreat. So we see that Abraham is treated well by him on account of his closeness to God, because Abimelech sees that he's close to God. And then also, uh, Abraham has this sort of, uh, you know, building this well and receiving this legal okay for this to be his, is an indication that this land will continue to belong to him. Look at the last line. And Abraham stayed, Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. So part of the point here is that God protects Abraham's place in the land, so to speak, as, as an indication that God will keep all of these promises that he had given to him previously on multiple occasions. So God keeps his promises. He keeps them graciously. He keeps them patiently. He keeps them miraculously. And he keeps them thoroughly. And in many ways, this is kind of a nice, tidy wrapping up that draws attention to what we've seen from God all along. But the one final thing I don't want you to miss from Genesis chapter 21 is that you lift your eye, if you lift your eyes up off the ground a bit, if you take them up and look up at the horizon, you see that there are truths down the story that are in some ways prefigured here, in some ways foreshadowed here. Don't miss the connections to Jesus is my point. So think about this. You've got a chart you can follow along on there. Think about what we see here. So God's promise to Abraham is kept graciously. He kept his word to Abraham and Sarah, even though they didn't deserve it. And God's promise as his faithfulness manifested in Jesus, God sent Jesus to die for a world that didn't deserve it. Graciously? Yeah, I think so. God's faithfulness to Abraham was patient. He waited 25 years to provide Isaac as the immediate fulfillment to the promise. And God's faithfulness manifested in Jesus was indeed patient. He waited 2,000 years from the time of Abraham, roughly speaking, waited 2,000 years to send Jesus as the ultimate fulfillment. And so far, he's waited another 2,000 years to finish the job. Patient? I think so. Miraculous. Uh, God uh, gave Abraham a son, Isaac, who was born to a woman well beyond childbearing years. 
story of Jesus? Yeah, pretty sure it fits. God brought Jesus into the world through a virgin. A woman who was biologically incapable of giving birth to a child gave birth to a child because God was in this. And of course, finally, God fulfilled not one but all of his promises to Abraham. I immediately, as soon as I saw this was in the text, I immediately thought of a statement that Paul makes in 2 Corinthians 1.20. No matter how many promises God has made, they are all a yes in Christ. In other words, they are all fulfilled in him. That everything that God has told us he was going to do, he either has done, is doing, or will do through Jesus. God keeps his, his promise faithfully. He keeps his promise thoroughly uh, through sending Jesus to die so that we might be forgiven, first of all, and so that when we, we might then be a part of God's restoration project of all of creation. So, Genesis 21, God is faithful to Abraham and to you. That's Genesis 21. God is faithful to Abraham and to you and to us and to me. Then we come to Genesis chapter 22, and there's a similar truth, but slightly different angle. Once again, it's not new information so much as a summary of something that we've seen. Uh, And Genesis chapter 22, simply put, is once more, God demands faith from Abraham. So chapter 21 is God is faithful to Abraham. Chapter 22 of Genesis is God demands faith from Abraham. This is probably one of the most well-known and in certain ways beloved, but in other ways, strange texts that we have in our Bibles. Let's read the whole thing, Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 1, and I'll read on through verse 19. We'll pick up the rest of it later on. Here's what he says. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son? Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood, and then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. 
Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Once more, God demands faith from Abraham. Now, at this point in the story, if we're just following along and reading straight through, you'd kind of expect the story to shift and for the attention to be taken off of Abraham and placed onto Isaac. I mean, it only makes sense. Sure, we've been looking at the life of Abraham, but really so much of his story was about this promise of a son who would come after him and who would, who would, who would move forward this, this, this process or this mission where God was going to reach all the nations of the world. And, and so we come to this point now where Abraham has been faithful. Not always, but he's been faithful. And even where he has not been faithful, God has been faithful. And Isaac is here. And so you would think that it would be time to move on and start to follow Isaac through the course of his life and his journey with God to see where that would take him. And we are going to do that in Genesis, but not yet. But first, there's one thing that has to be taken care of. Apparently, God is not finished with this man, Abraham. He is not yet ready to move on to another one, Isaac. So before we go any further, let me just acknowledge that a lot of you in the room have been walking with God for a while. Not all of you. Some of you are new in your journey with God. And part of what I love so much about our time together uh, in this in, in that room is part of what I love so much is that we we bring such different perspectives and different experiences and we're at different places on our journey with God and yet we can look at the same Bible and talk through the same ideas and all receive some truth that is relevant to where we are. I love seeing this. I just want to say though a special word to those of you who've been walking with God for a while. Abraham had been too. And so if you read a story like this and think, well, this makes sense at the first part of a person's journey. I mean, it makes sense when you first start out to come to these points where you have to actually give everything up and realize that God demands it all. I want you to notice this happened at the end, which means this is a kind of thing that God may still do with you. We never come to a point at which we're beyond God uh, putting, putting us in situations where we will find out if our faith is real or if it is just uh, so far as God does what we want him to do. So this is a text for all of us. A couple questions I want to ask with respect to this text. So I think we'll keep this fairly simple. The first question I want to ask is, uh, what is God actually asking Abraham to do? And second question is, why was Abraham willing to do it? What is God asking Abraham to do? Uh, number one. Number two, why was Abraham willing to do it? First of all, what was God asking Abraham to do? Well, uh, from a purely, purely human standpoint, it's not hard to see that God was asking Abraham to sacrifice what he loved most in this world. That's the heart of it. Your son, your only son, whom you love. It was the thing Abraham loved most in this world. And man, I, I don't want to read my own narrative onto Abraham's. Our, our lives are obviously very different in most respects. Uh, but I know what it's like to, to, to yearn for a child. To want to hold a tiny baby who is going to move for, forward the story of God's mission in your own life. Uh, to, just, to just deeply desire to have uh, your own. I still remember, some of you know our story, I won't get into the details now, but for Beth and I, it was a rough, it's not even the strong enough word, it was a brutal, torturous journey, yeah, this process of trying to have kids. And um, I remember when Claire was born, there was this this um, 
So we uh, had some slight complications and so had to do a cesarean section. And as a result, at the time, um, they didn't do what they normally do, which is at the hospital we were at, they do this thing called the golden hour, where they'll take the baby and they'll just put the uh, baby on, on the mama's chest and they'll just kind of wrap them all up together, skin to skin, for just an hour, just kind of bond and be. And uh, at the time, thankfully, by the time we had our second, they, they did this even with C-sections. But at the time, they didn't do this with C-sections. So um, it was unfortunate for her. I was the lucky one in this respect. So basically what they did is as soon as they took Claire out, you know, clipped the cord, clean her off, uh, they they brought her to me and they put us in this quiet room. Nobody else is in the room. I'm in this rocking chair and uh, just skin to skin, her body against mine, holding her against my chest. And I just remember looking down at that tiny face and saying words that she had no way of comprehending. All she's thinking is, it's so much colder out here than where I've been for the last nine months, you know? And it's loud and it's weird. And who are you with the prickly hair on your chin, you know, hitting my face, whatever. Like, I'm just holding her tight. And I'm just saying, I love you. I can't wait to watch you grow. And I'm thinking about all of these memories that we're going to create. And I remember Beth, uh, they wheeled her after time by the uh, by the window of that room. She looked in and she said, I just had the biggest goofiest grin that you've ever seen on my face. And I'm holding my little baby girl who I wanted so badly. And gosh, I cannot imagine after all of that, that um, pain and grief and sadness trying to get to that point and then finally getting to that point where you have this thing you love with a love that is unmatched. Uh, it really is. And then God says, uh, I'd like to have that back. For real? That's what he asks Abraham. I'd like to have that back, please. This um, prized thing, this, this first thing in the world you would grab if you were running away from danger, this thing for which you would run into danger if necessary in order to protect it, this thing you love, this person, this child, for Abraham, this son, your only full son, whom you love, like to have him back. Abraham is asked to sacrifice that which means most to him in the world. But there's a whole other part of this story that we have to be careful not to miss. The emotion of this story is, is um, you know, pick a word. It's tangible, it's palpable, it's real. But there's also an element that goes a step further than just this is a man being asked to sacrifice his son. No, this is also Abraham being asked to sacrifice Isaac. And what that means is that God is asking uh, Abraham to sacrifice the one tangible sign he had that God would follow through. All these years and all these promises, and they were really up to this point just words. Oh, there were some other things God did and said and showed Abraham, but they were just they were just words about what will come to be, and now it has come to be. And you have one physical sign, a walking sign, that God is going to do what he said. And then God says, that one thing that proves to you that I'm faithful, I'd like to have it back. I mean, have you ever prayed to God? God, just give me something. Give me a sign. Anything. And then he does. And then he takes it away, or at least threatens to. God, just show me, show, give me an opportunity to serve you. Oh, here's an opportunity. Oh, wait, I don't get to have this? God, just give me, give me an insight into my, what am I good at? Like, what is an ability that I have that I can use for you? Oh, wow, I finally discovered it. Wait, I don't, like you want, and now you want me to do that? I don't understand, God. Like, isn't, isn't this the thing that you gave me when I asked? 
Isn't this the sign uh, that you actually are moving? Isn't this the thing that I was going to be able to point to as an indicator that I can trust you in other things as well? Or on the flip side, have you ever said to God, you can have all of me, yeah, everything. And then he's like, okay, cool. How about, uh, how about you hand me back your career? Or um, how about you hand me back your kids? Or how about you hand me back your past? Let's deal with it. You've been running. Or your future. Let's talk about it. You've been freaking out. I don't know what it is for you, but you say to God, you can have all of me. And then he's like, okay, cool. Here's what I want. And you're like, um, well, that? A lot going on here. There's a reason this is one of the heaviest chapters in the Bible. Because Abraham is asked to give up that which means most to him in this world. And he's also asked to give up that one thing that serves for him as a tangible demonstration that God can be trusted. Abraham, simply put, is being asked to give up everything. And he did it. Why? What led Abraham to say, okay, why was he willing? What was he thinking? I think they see a couple of things. I'll just point out two of them. Number one, I think Abraham was willing to do this because he was thinking that God would find a way to faithfully provide. That's what I think he was thinking. God will find a way to provide. You can see this in the text. Verse 5, he says to his servants, we're going to worship and we will come back to you. Maybe he just doesn't want to say, I'm going to go kill my son because, you know, they're going to step in. Or maybe it's an indication of his faith. Verse 8, uh, Isaac asks him, where's the sacrifice? And he says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And they go on together. So there are some things in this text which indicate that Abraham believes God will provide. The New Testament confirms this. Paul says in Romans chapter 4, verse 18, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. And probably the text that speaks most directly to this specific situation is in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Let me just read you a couple of verses from Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. It says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. So he, he did this because he, even if he didn't know how, he was thinking that God is going to find a way to faithfully provide. He called the place the Lord will provide. Don't miss that. He will find a way to provide. But even at a deeper level, I just think what we see at this point in Abraham's story is what you get when a person walks with God long enough to see the truth about him. I think the reason why Abraham was willing to do what he did was because he had learned in some pretty difficult ways. He had learned that God can always be trusted. Even when what he seems to be saying or doing makes absolutely no sense, goes against what we would regard as common sense. Even when he seems to be ruining his own plans, Abraham had learned that God always knows what he's doing, that God's way is always best, that God's best for me is the best for me, that God's best for you is the best for you. I think that's why Abraham did what he did. Because he'd come to a point where he wasn't going to try to calculate or figure it out anymore. He was just going to trust that when God spoke, and at this point he recognizes God's voice, he knows when it's God. When God says to do something, you just do it. Because God can be trusted. That's why Abraham did what he did. That's why Abraham was willing to offer Isaac. 
That's why he literally raised the knife and was about to bring it down to this baby, not baby boy, this young boy's body. And of course, at this point, the angel says, I've seen what I need to see. God says, I've seen what I was looking for. We're good. And the story moves forward with Abraham and Isaac leaving together. Now, this story is powerful on its own, but I don't want you to miss. Maybe you've already made these connections. I don't want you to miss the connections to New Testament realities. I got two of them for you, and then we'll be done. We'll send you to some other exercises and conversations there together. The first thing I want you to notice is that like Abraham, we are called to give up everything. Everything. I think about the story in Luke 18 about the rich man. He was a young man. He was a ruler. He came to Jesus and said, what good must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the commandments. And he started listing them out. And the guy's like, oh, cool. I've kept all these since I was a boy. And Jesus said to him, but you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give the money to the poor, and then come and follow me. And the man went away sad because he had great wealth. Give up everything. And and I think we hear this story of the rich young ruler. And uh, we we do this thing where we say, well, money's not an idol for me which may very well be true, Uh, probably is true, I don't know, but let's just assume it is for the moment. Money's not an idol for me. It's not the thing that stands in the way for me. And so then we, because of that, we take this text and we put it in the um, does not apply to me box. This text does this about somebody else. I just want you to notice like that's not how it works. For you, it's maybe not money. For the rich guy, it was money. For Abraham, it was family. For you, it'll be, I don't know, something. But don't think that just because Jesus hasn't told you to sell everything, that he hasn't called you to give up everything. Because when you come to a passage like Luke 14, 25 through 33, these statements are more general. It's not one person give up everything. It's if anyone wants to be my disciple, they got to take up their cross and follow me. Anybody who doesn't give up everything they have cannot be my disciple. Anybody who doesn't hate father and mother and on down the list cannot be my disciple. What's Jesus' point? I'm going to call you to give up everything because the commitment that I'm asking you to make to me stands so far above any other commitment that there is no competition between the two. And be careful. Don't think we're slipping into legalism. It's not like, um, uh, you know, now God has called you to begin by grace through faith, but then it becomes a matter of law. Then you proceed by your own moral strength and good works as if grace by faith is no longer a thing. It is the thing. God still asks you graciously, asks you to trust him. That's the very point, that it's still by faith. And this is what faith looks like. He still is looking at you with the same simple question. Do you trust me? See, authentic faith manifests itself in radical obedience. Faith and obedience are not two separate things. Obedience is the manifestation of the faith. And God calls you to obey because it reveals whether or not you trust him. And God calls you to trust him, which will result in obedience. And so, like Abraham, we're called to give up everything. And if that was the end of it, it would be true, but it wouldn't be enough. Because I can't on my own strength give up everything. I will fail, which is why it's good news that this text points forward in another way. Unlike Abraham, God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. There's a contrast here between Abraham and God himself. Abraham was willing, but he didn't give up his own son. God was willing and he did. Think about that verse, John 3, 16. He has sent his one and only son. Think about, I think this is an allusion to the Abraham story that you find in Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? 
How can you trust that God's best for you is best for you? You can trust that because the one who commands you to obey is the same one who sent his son to die so that you might live. I think about later on or earlier in Romans chapter 5 when he says that God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were yet in our sin, Christ died for us. And it's not just that he loved you then in the cross and now he gets to tell you what to do. It's that he so clearly proved the depths of his love to you then that every moment becomes a manifestation of that same love. He so clearly proved to you and deeply made it clear that he loves you, that he's for you, that you can hear his commands to obey as an expression of that same love. That, I think, is the truth that will enable us to believe that God is to be trusted and obeyed and that his best for us is the best for us. See, because the call to obey, sacrificially obey, the call to obey is an expression of the same love that put Jesus on the cross. Let me say that again. The call to obey is an expression of the same love that put Jesus on the cross. One time I was working with Claire. We will do sometimes hand signs so I can communicate to her publicly without embarrassing her. And we needed a sign for obedience because I needed her to know, hey, now it's time to obey. And I was talking to her about this and I was like, babe, what do you think? What's going to work? How can I communicate this to you when it's like you better recognize, obey. That's how this works. And she was like, how about this? And I was like, sweetheart, that's the sign for love. And she was like, yeah, I know. Can it be both? And I was like, you are brilliant. Indeed it can. Because the command to obey and the offer of love when coming from one who sent his own son to die are one and the same thing. And the proper response to both is to look up at God and say, okay, I get it. I'm in. I trust you. You can have me, all of me. So the point of Genesis chapter 21 is that God, once more, is faithful to Abraham and to you. And the point of Genesis chapter 22 is that God, once more, demands for faith from Abraham and from you. Now, what I want you to do next is spend some time reflecting on the story of Abraham. We've got some exercises for you there in your notes. Scott will walk you through some of these things. Basically, we want you to chart out the progress of Abraham's faith Notice the patterns and see if you find some parallels to your own life as well. I know I prayed earlier, but let me pray again, and then we'll set you guys loose uh, to walk through the rest of the evening with whatever time you have left. God bless my friends. Help them to reflect well uh, when they think on their own. Help them also to reflect well uh, when they have some dialogue together. Uh, We pray that you bless us in Jesus' name so that we might be faithful to you who have been faithful to us. Amen. Okay. Uh, In your notes there, the uh, first exercise that we're going to take a few minutes to work on is is the uh, one that says Abraham's faith and journey and ours, and it just says to turn the paper uh, to the side and begin to mark dots for each situation there. And then when you finish marking those dots, just take a moment to draw a line connecting all those. So just Michael's goal here was just for us to see the journey that uh, that Abraham went on. So we'll take a few minutes and do that one, and then we'll come back and do another exercise here in just a moment. Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.